I'll pray for us before we look at that passage together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks in the book of Colossians, we pray that you might fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we might live lives pleasing to you. And we pray that you might use your word to do just that tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes people offer you something that's just too good to be true. Uh, I'm sure you've received a personal email from a Nigerian prince at some point telling you that he has a million dollars with your name on it and you've just got to send him $5,000 and so he can get out of the country and give it to you. Uh, or when you're trying to find a cheap place to have a holiday and you look on the internet and this place tells you that it's right on the beach, it has five bedrooms, it's got a tennis court, it's got its own pool and it's all just $50 a night. Don't sign up for it. Just a tip. It's too good to be true. My first job when I was 15 was with a mail order company. Some of you probably don't know what a mail order company was, but they used to advertise on the back of like Women's Day and New Idea magazine and those sort of things. And they'd sell you, you know, plates with the Queen of England on the front or something like that. And this one in particular used to sell watches and they were $4.95 plus postage and handling. That's how they made their money. Uh, I was 15, my job was to go down, it was in school holidays, my job was to go down to the post office and collect the returns. And every day there was four bags about this big of returns. And I was always amazed that people would write these letters of outrage. My watch that you said was 50 metres water resistant didn't last when I went in the, under the Great Barrier Reef diving with it on. Or, you know, it's $4.95. Were you expecting a Rolex? Sometimes people offer you something that is just too good to be true. And in a way, other than the fact that it is true, the gospel of Jesus Christ is too good to be true. The news that even though, because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment and condemnation, even though, if you look back to last week's passage, chapter 2, verse 13, we were dead in our trespasses. Despite that, God has sent His Son to be our Saviour. And again, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 13, he has made us alive with Christ and forgiven us all our trespasses. When Jesus died on the cross, we saw last week, he was taking the debt we owed God for our sin on himself. He nailed it to the cross, it says. So we don't owe God anything for our sin anymore. The price has been paid by Jesus. That is the wonderful message of the gospel. That is the gospel, that is the Jesus we have come to know. And even more amazing than that, we do nothing to earn it. It is by grace. It is the free gift of God and we receive it, not by doing anything, but by faith, by simply trusting in Christ and what God has done for us in Him. That is the wonderful news we believe. That is the gospel we believe. That is the Saviour we know. And that's what the Apostle Paul has been reminding us of for the last four or five weeks here at church as we've looked at the first two chapters of Colossians. He's been sort of lifting our eyes so we might really grasp how wonderful Jesus is. That's what he's been doing. And I pray that even if this series on Colossians is the 5,000th time you've heard it, uh, I pray that it hasn't become old news to you, it hasn't become stale to you, I pray that it still makes you want to praise God. But the thing is, from the very beginning, from the moment that gospel has been preached, People have followed the people preaching it and gone into churches and said, that is too good to be true. They said, I'm a Christian too, but, but that idea that any person 
can come to the God of the universe simply through trusting in the death of Jesus, that is too good to be true. And so they say, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus died for your sins, believe all that. But you need something more than that if you want to really know God. You need something more than that if you really want to be mature as a Christian. You need something more than that if you want to be truly spiritual. You need Jesus plus. And so in our passage today, Paul warns us. He warns us about falling into the trap of thinking that you need more than Jesus to be saved, more than faith in Christ to really know God. And his first warning, you can see it there on your outline, take out your outline and have a look. His first warning is against people who say, you need Jesus plus old-style religion. So come with me to verse 16. He says, therefore, so immediately he's saying, because of everything I've already told you, because of everything we've learned about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Now, we immediately think, what on earth is he talking about there? I, I'm not aware of anyone here who's going around judging people on the basis of a new moon. What's he talking about? He is talking about Old Testament religion. All those things he's talking about there come directly from the Old Testament. How under the Old Testament law, you weren't allowed to eat certain foods. You weren't allowed to eat pork. You weren't allowed to eat shellfish. You weren't allowed to drink certain types of drink. And how you had to keep holy days each week and each month and each year. See, from the moment the gospel was first preached, people wanted to say, yes, Jesus is for everyone. But you don't just trust in Jesus. You have to become a Jew as well to be saved. Because Jesus is Israel's Messiah. And so straight away, people would go around saying, you have to believe in Jesus, plus you have to obey the Old Testament law. And so they'd come and say, yeah, trust in Jesus, but keep these rules and regulations. You mustn't eat that. You must keep this festival. And so they would judge the Christian who ate pork. They would say, he's not a real believer. Or the Christian who didn't come to the temple and continue to celebrate the Jewish holy days. Now, we immediately think, well, that is not relevant to us. I am not aware of anyone at St George North ever coming and judging another person for having extra bacon on their roll at a church barbecue. I've, I've never seen it. If anything, I judge you for not having bacon on your roll. So that, that's the problem we have. That's my sin. But stay with me because I want to show you how relevant this actually is. And to understand how relevant, you have to see why Paul says they're wrong. Look at verse 17. He says... These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. See, the issue is the laws and the regulations and all of that of the Old Testament were for a time. But they were always designed to point us forward to the real thing that was coming. They're a shadow and they want you to see the real thing that's casting the shadow. So the food laws of the Old Testament, they were designed to show God's people, you have to be different to all the other people. You've got to be distinct. But now Jesus has come. And now our distinction is shown in our faith in Christ. And our distinction is shown in our holiness of life, the different way we live to the people around us. Or the holy days in the Old Testament. On the holy days, like the Day of Atonement or something like that, the people went to the temple because that's where you went. To meet with God and you took a lamb with you and you gave it to the priest because you couldn't approach God, the priest had to do it for you and then the priest would offer a sacrifice on your behalf 
at the temple. He would kill your lamb for you. And it was all to show the people that sinners like us can't just walk into the presence of God. You can't just approach God if you're a sinner. Instead, you need someone to pay the price for your sin. But now Jesus has come. And so now we don't need to go to a temple because we we meet with God through Jesus Christ. The shadow is the temple, the reality is Jesus. And you don't need a priest. Don't ever call me a priest. Whatever you call me, you can call me all sorts of names, but don't call me a priest. Because you don't need a priest to stand between you and God. You can approach God directly through Jesus. And you don't need to sacrifice lambs and goats to pay for your sin because Jesus has paid for your sin once and for all in his death on the cross. And so Paul's point here is why on earth would you mess around with obsolete shadows when you have the real thing? Now I hope you're starting to see why this is so relevant. It's especially relevant if you've come from a religious background. You see, it's relevant because for 2,000 years, Christians have kept ignoring this and going back to Old Testament-style religion. Christians have said there has to be more than just trusting in Jesus. To feel spiritual, we need a building that looks like a temple and we'll call it holy ground. We need rituals that, that will get us closer to God. And telling people, you need to confess your sins to a priest to get forgiveness. Making rituals the centre of everything rather than the prayer and the reading and preaching of Scripture. Imposing rules and regulations about what you can and can't eat. Don't eat meat on Friday, especially not Good Friday. Come to my house, I'll give you a sirloin. Declaring to the world on Facebook what I'm giving up for Lent. Now some of these things we can think are harmless... And some of them might be harmless in and of themselves. But once someone says, if you do this, you'll be closer to God, they are not harmless. And once someone says, if you do this, you'll be more spiritual, they are not harmless. Because they say to people that you approach God through ritual and through keeping rules rather than through trusting Jesus, the one who died for your sins. And they say to people, Christian maturity is shown in obeying rules and regulations rather than growing in the knowledge and love of Christ. They say to people, you please God by keeping rituals at church when in fact he longs for you to put off ungodliness and live a life that is always worshipping him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So Paul says, never let anyone judge you because you don't do those things. True Christian maturity is not doing rituals in a church. True Christian maturity is growing in your trust in Jesus and then living a life of repentant godliness. Which brings me to the second warning in our passage, come with me, which is against people who say, you need Jesus plus a spiritual experience. So come with me to verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you. Now before we get into it, do you see how that's stronger than the warning of verse 16? So verse 16 was, don't let anyone judge you. That's sort of like saying, don't let anyone make you feel inadequate. Don't let anyone make you doubt what you have in Jesus. But this is, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone lead you away from salvation. Don't let anyone lead you away from what you have in Jesus. Now, how would they do that? Well, look there. The first way is by insisting on ascetic practices. 
That's not a phrase you use every day. What does that mean? Well, asceticism is withdrawing from the world and treating your body harshly to try and say, this world is evil and so the way to be spiritual is to withdraw from it. You see, it's like a monk. You know, when you've seen the monks back in the olden days, well, it's, to, it's sinful to enjoy a nice meal. It's sinful to enjoy any good thing. It's, it's treating your body harshly like the monks who used to whip themselves to try and stop themselves sinning. It's actually the basis of most Eastern religions. It's the basis of Buddhism. This world is bad and so you're more spiritual if you can deny yourself anything in this world. Treat yourself harshly, experience pain and deprivation. But sadly, it comes up over and over again in Christianity. Sadly, this is Roman Catholicism. But it is such a distortion of God's view of the world. God says, my creation is good. And I want my people to enjoy it with thanksgiving. Enjoy it, giving me the glory for it. Not to be misused or abused, drunkenness is sinful. Gluttony is sinful, greed is sinful, but God wants us to enjoy His creation. Now, what happens when Christians insist on ascetic practices? When they declare, you need to do this or not do that to be more spiritual, what happens then? Well, it makes ordinary people, like you and me, despair. Maybe I'm not a true Christian because I don't do what He does. Maybe I'm not good enough for God can make people feel that they are disqualified, that their faith in Jesus is not enough. So Paul says, do not listen to people like that. Remember what you have in Jesus. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You do not need anything more. If we go on in verse 18, there's another type of spirituality that can make us feel like Jesus is not enough. And it's so-called spiritual experiences. Look again from verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels. It is really hard to work out what he means by someone insisting on the worship of angels. He could mean people came around saying, you shouldn't just worship Jesus, you should worship other angelic beings as well, but I don't think that's what it was. Uh, I think it's more likely it's saying, hey, you know what you experience in your everyday life? I can open up a way for you to experience what the angels experience. It's saying you can participate in the worship of angels. I think the next part helps us understand it, look there. He says, claiming access to a visionary realm. Even if we can't work out exactly what they were saying, I think we know the sort of thing he's talking about. It's the person who comes and says, I have had this incredible, greater experience of God. I've had a vision that's told me things you would not believe. I've had an experience of the presence of God in me that gave me a feeling of closeness to God that I've never had before, and you should have it too. And it sounds really spiritual. People are often sort of thinking, oh, wow, that that must be spiritual because it's a bit creepy. It's a bit out there. And it could be real, because God can do all sorts of things, He can do whatever He wants. But if someone says to you, you need this too, then say, get away from me, you're not helpful. I'm sure you've met Christians like this, by the way, who say, you're missing out, 
because you haven't had this spiritual experience like I've had. You haven't had visions like me. You haven't spoken in tongues like me. You haven't been to this conference with this worship band that made me feel something incredible like me. You haven't been filled by the Spirit like me or whatever it is. And when you hear people say things like that, the temptation is to doubt yourself. The temptation is to say, maybe I'm not really spiritual. Maybe I'm not really mature. Maybe my faith in Jesus is not enough. Maybe I need something more. But Paul says, no, do not let them disqualify you. Don't ever let someone tell you you need something more than faith in Jesus. You have everything you need in Him. You don't need anything else. It's really interesting. Of all people, the Apostle Paul could have boasted about his spiritual experiences. When you go home tonight, just before you go to bed, read 2 Corinthians 12. Don't do it now because you won't listen to anything else I say. But read 2 Corinthians 12 and in it, Paul talks about how he, and he doesn't know whether it happened in the body or in a dream, he was taken up into the heavens. He went up and he, he went to a place he calls the third heaven. He says, I was caught up into paradise. When I say you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 12, you actually can't because he says, that's what happened, but I'm not going to tell you about it because you don't need to know about it. And so we're just left wondering, I wonder what this third heaven is, where he went. But he says, you don't need to know, because I want to tell you about what you do need to know about, which is what Jesus has done for you. I want you to know what you do need to know about, that Jesus has died for your sins. I want you to know what you do need to know about, that you have the hope of eternal life, because of Jesus' resurrection. That you have every spiritual blessing through faith in Christ. So you don't need a vision like I had, you don't need a feeling, you don't need whatever the latest experience a church in America can supposedly give you. I'm always amazed how Christian people will go to conferences or will buy books from Christian bookstores because they think, I will get some spiritual thing from that. And they'll buy books by Christian authors who tell them about how they have a special word from God or they've got some experience of meeting God face to face in a vision. Don't read that rubbish. Don't bother with it, because if they'd really had that experience, like Paul, they'd say to you, don't bother listening to me, read your Bible. Look at Jesus, not at me. And that's actually the test that Paul gives here. If something serves to puff people up, rather than build everyone up, then it's not helpful and it's not worth listening to. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse 18. He says, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind, he does not hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons develops with growth from God. You see, the person who says, I am more spiritual because I've had this experience, because I've had this vision of God, Paul says, by definition, if they say that, they're not worth listening to. It's actually one of those moments where it has a really fun play on words in the English. If it gives them a big head, rather than pointing at the real head of the church, Jesus, then don't bother listening to it. If it inflates their head, then it's not spiritual or helpful at all. See, if it makes people say, look at how spiritual I, ha I am compared to you, rather than look at Jesus, see how wonderful He is, then Paul says, ignore it. And if it leads to divisions in the body of Christ, where some people say, we're the spiritual ones and you're not, then ignore it. 
If it does anything other than build people up in their faith in Jesus, it is not spiritual. So Paul says, do not let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you on any basis other than faith in Christ and living a repentant life of godliness. If we come now to the final part of our passage for tonight, it's the final part of the warning, and he goes back to what we learned earlier in chapter 2. So look at verse 20. He says, if you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Now that little phrase there, you died with the Messiah or you died with Christ, that actually captures the essence of what it is to be a Christian. When you trusted in Jesus, your old self died. When you trusted in Christ, you became a new person in Christ. The old sinful you was put to death with Jesus at the cross, they are no longer, and so now you are a new person, a person who has the Holy Spirit of God at work in you. And in that, you died to the elemental forces of this world. That's a tricky phrase. It could be talking about saying you died to the the philosophies and the rules and the powers of this world. Or it could actually mean you died to the spiritual forces at work behind this world, the devil and all his demonic schemes. But either way, the point is simple. He's saying if you died with Christ to this world, then why do you live as if you still belong to this world? If you've died to Christ, you're a new person, don't live like the old person. And it's a great question, it's actually the key question for thinking about how to live the Christian life. And it's actually asked over and over again in different ways in the New Testament. So if you've died to this world, Jesus says, why are you storing up treasures here on earth? If you've died to this world, why do you listen to the voices of this world? Why do you let this world shape your opinions? But here his point is, religious rituals and regulations are not spiritual, they're actually part of this world's way of doing things. This is the great misunderstanding people have. People think, ah, if if there's incense and men dressed in robes and all these spiritual rituals and regulations, that must be spiritual. Paul says, no, they're worldly. That's the worldly way of doing religion. And if you've died to this world, why do you keep doing them? Look at verse 22. He says, all these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. He's not talking about the commands of the New Testament, by the way, of God's Word. He's not talking about the command to believe in Christ. He's not talking about the command to flee sexual immorality, don't worship idols, do not give up meeting together, love your neighbour. They matter. He's going to talk about that in chapter 3. He's talking about rules about what you can and can't eat. He's talking about rules about religious festivals. He's talking about rules about what a minister can and can't wear. And he says they're just all things of this world and often they're just made up by people. And so they don't come from God, so why listen to them? And worse than that, they actually don't do anything. Just look at the final verse, verse 23. He says, although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. That's the great sadness. People look at religious rules and religious rituals and they think, oh, they must achieve something. They must help us live for Jesus. He says, they don't do anything. 
absolutely useless. Rules and rituals do not help people stop sinning. Rules and rituals don't help people live for Jesus. It's a sad reality, and we've seen it very clearly in Australia in recent times. Religious people are often not godly people. People who love religious ritual are often not godly people. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' time who kept all the little rules and who went to the temple and put on a good show, but they did everything in their power to not love people. Now, what does James say? Look at your outline, I've written a couple of verses. Look at what James says in James chapter 1. He says this, he says, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, and he doesn't then say, is avoiding meat on Friday. He doesn't then say, is giving up Facebook for Lent. He says, no, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Or as David said in Psalm 51, talking about the shadows, talking about Old Testament religion, he said to God, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. See, God does not want our religious rituals. He does not want our religion. He wants humble, repentant sinners who trust in Jesus. That's what he wants. I started by talking about things being too good to be true and I said the gospel of Jesus Christ is too good to be true, except it is true. That truth that we are saved by grace, the free gift of God, that we receive that gift only by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. That truth that we can come before God just by trusting in Christ. We don't need a priest, we don't need a temple, we don't need anything else. That truth is so wonderful that it is too good to be true, except it is true. So do not ever let people tell you, you need something more. And do not ever let people tell you, you need religious rules and religious rituals. Don't ever let people tell you, you need some spiritual experience. Don't ever let people tell you that you do not have every spiritual blessing through faith in Christ. Don't ever go back to human religion when you have the Son of God who died for your sins. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of your gospel that in Christ we are forgiven, not by anything we do, in fact the opposite, he died for us while we were your enemies, but we have forgiveness through faith in Christ alone. And Father, we thank you that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. So please don't ever allow us to be tempted to think we need something more. Help us not to be distracted by human, man-made rules and rituals. Instead, help us to see how wonderful it is that we can trust in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.